in chapter 10. All right. Hopefully you're there or pretty close to being there at Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Word of God, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that in this new year we would just develop a deeper love for you and for your people. We know this is the work of the Spirit. We can't just conjure up love in our hearts. You command us to love you and love one another, but that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we want to respond by the Spirit to the Word of God so that we might have the same heart of love for your people as Christ did and still does. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, um, we're talking about loving your church, okay? And what we want to learn this morning from this passage is you need your local church because it's how God protects and grows our faith. You say, ah, you're uh, pronouns are not in agreement. That's bad English. Uh, you said your and then our. I did that on purpose uh, because uh, you as an individual need to develop a deeper love for the church, but God is growing, protecting our faith as a church. You're part of that. I want to see your part in the larger whole, and I want to see then how we are part of a larger whole, the body of Jesus Christ. You know, the book of Hebrews is a book of better things. I like better things, don't you? Uh, I like when you upgrade your car and you have a better car. Uh, I like uh, when you're able to get a new phone and it's a better phone with more features. Uh, the book of Hebrews is a book of better things. It shows us why Christ is better. Uh, he's not just a better way to God. He is better because he's the only way to God. Amen? And in Christ, we have a better covenant, a better priesthood, a better sacrifice, etc. Just a book of better things, how Christ is so much better. And so the command is not to go back to the old covenant. The only way to God is through the new covenant, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, when you read the book of the uh, Hebrews, it's important that you read it with three distinct people in mind, or three distinct distinct groups in mind. If not, it'll get a little confusing. Uh, here he does use the word brethren, but keep in mind that it's a, a Hebrew writing to other Hebrews, so he calls them brethren in the earthly sense. Uh, they are fellow Hebrews or fellow Jews. 
uh, doesn't mean all of them are Christians. As a matter of fact, understanding that there's three groups that he addresses, and we'll actually look at them just briefly in this passage. We'll see how this passage addresses each of the three groups. That will really help you understand the book of Hebrews a little bit better. Uh, so let me tell you about those three groups, okay? Actually, we're going to wait on that. <laughs> uh, these three dis- groups is this. First, there's the uncommitted Okay, these are people who understood the gospel, but they had not yet committed to Christ. Uh, Perhaps they were even coming into the Christian gatherings and hearing the gospel, but because there was great persecution, they were afraid to fully commit to Jesus Christ. And to them, he says, get off the fence and make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Then we have the wavering, Uh, those who believed, but they were discouraged. Things began to get more difficult. They started wavering in their faith commitment to Jesus Christ. So he urged them, cling to Christ. Don't let go. Continue in believing. And then we have, we might call the faithful. These were those who were committed to Christ, and they were committed to loyal, being loyal to Jesus Christ, but they were hurting, and they were suffering. And so he urged them to take comfort in Christ and in Christ's people, the local church. Now, uh, as Westerners, we don't struggle to the same degree as the church that we read about here. Uh, It's a little different. Um, But Satan uses tactics to draw us away from Christ as well. Uh, Whereas in persecution, Satan is trying to drive people away from Christ through hardship. I think Satan tempts people with prosperity too. He tempts us to make our focus earthly things. And these quickly become idols, and they draw us from Christ. So with persecution, perhaps he's driving them from Christ by hardship, but in prosperity, he just draws us away by other things. We just get distracted, and he lures us away from our focus on Jesus Christ. Remember that Paul addressed a guy named Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? He says, Demas has forsaken me because he has loved this present world. He, he had a commitment to Jesus Christ by his profession of faith, but there came a point in time in Demas's heart when he began to look at the things of this world and his heart was drawn away. I think that tends to be more of our issue in America. And so we see three distinct commands to these three groups of people. And we know what they are because they each start with the phrase, let us, okay? So you're looking at your Bible in verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. To the uncommitted, he says, listen, you need to come to Christ and commit to him. And it needs to have, you need to have a genuine heart or sincere heart, not half-heartedly, but completely committed to Jesus Christ, being fully assured of the faith, the gospel that was preached to you. Then he continues in verse 23 to those who are wavering. He says, let us hold fast to that confession of our hope. You made a, a confession that Christ alone was the way to God. He says, don't let go of that. Just cling to Christ with all that you are. And then verse 24, he was talking to those who are faithful, but they were really suffering and struggling. He says to them, we need, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. So he says, hey, how's the way that you can protect your faith and keep on growing 
meet together as a church and keep on gathering and encouraging one another in your faith so that you can remain true to Christ. And so we see these. And so I'm just going to go through these three commands and kind of break them down just a little bit. First of all, we see that command to those who have not yet committed. Commit to Christ because he is the only way to God. Now, he uses a lot of Old Testament imagery. Now, remember, all of the Old Testament pictures, sacrifices, were, were pictures of Jesus Christ and his work. And so he brings up the burnt offering, which was an atonement for sin. What does atonement mean? It means a covering for sin. Now, God did not fully forgive all the sins that were covered by those sacrifices. They were literally waiting for Jesus Christ to come, so then full forgiveness was given. They were just temporarily covered. God said, I'm willing to overlook these because you obeyed by faith the command to bring a sacrifice. But this is meant to picture the coming of the the real sacrifice, which is Christ Jesus. And he uses that language, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Christ. This is where the high priest would enter into the holy place to offer the sacrifice. The burnt sacrifice was washed with water, and the blood was sprinkled on the altar. And that was meant to cover sins until Christ would come. Notice how it says this, enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ, a new and living way. That's the new covenant which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Now, just as the veil in the temple, you remember what happened when Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Or actually, at his death. When he died, it says the veil of the temple was rent in two. God was showing Israel that the way to God has now been opened up so that there doesn't have to be a priesthood which stands as a mediator. Instead, Christ was the mediator, and he opened it his way. And like the veil in the temple was torn in two, Christ's body was rent. It was torn on that cross so that we can now enter into God's presence through Christ Jesus. And then it says, and having a high priest. So Christ was not only the sacrifice, he was the high priest offering the sacrifice. If you ever wanted a picture of Christ being all in all, this is it. (laughs) He's the sacrifice, he's the one who makes the sacrifice, he's the high priest. It said, because all these things are true, now we can come into God's presence through Jesus Christ. His sacrifice gave us full and final forgiveness. Access to God through Christ alone. Our access to God is not because we keep the law. It's because Jesus kept the law and God accepted his life and death. And so, if there's any here and that do not have full assurance of Christ, The command to you today is to commit to Jesus Christ, not half-heartedly, not partially, but completely. Come to the one who alone is salvation. But then he gives that message to those who are wavering. He says, hold fast, cling to Christ. Now, this group was worried because leaving the old or they were um, worried that maybe leaving the old covenant was a mistake. So they were kind of sitting on the fence. They said, we, we believe, but we're, we're concerned here. Things are getting difficult. Have we made the right choice? He says to them, listen, you made a confession of your only hope being Jesus Christ. Don't let that go. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. Satan is going to test your faith. Now, maybe up to this point, that testing has been minimal. 
But let me tell you something. There comes a time, a critical moment in every Christian's life, usually more than once, in which their faith is put to the test. And it gives them a chance to examine, is my faith and is my commitment in Jesus Christ? What I'm afraid of is oftentimes when that finally happens, we've not so saturated our souls with the truth of the gospel, we begin to question and wonder and sometimes drift from the truth. That's why we learn the gospel. That's why we come and gather and we continue to get in the word until our hearts are so saturated with the gospel. Every time Satan comes with an accusation, every time Satan comes with a temptation, we respond like Jesus Christ and go back to the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. We know what God says. Saturate your soul. But then to the faithful, he says, commit to your church because that is how God protects and grows your faith. And he gives us several ways in which that happens, which we're going to talk about. But it's how he protects the truth through the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, God tells us that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, these things I am writing to you Though I hope to come to you shortly, Paul's writing it to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. That means the household or the family of God. He says, Timothy, the church is of such great importance, it matters what we do. One of the things we try to do at Faith Baptist Church, the leaders are constantly looking at our services and what we're doing as a church to see, is this the most scriptural we can possibly be? Why? Because it matters what we do here. It matters what you do. Because the church isn't a building, it's you. It's me, it's us. And he says, listen, you, ha- you need to know how to, how to guide the church of God. He was a pastor in Ephesus. And then he says this, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the church that protects and proclaims and propagates the truth to this world. It is God's chosen means to reveal himself to this world. By the way, here's a challenge. Read the whole book of 1 Timothy, and what you'll find out is this verse, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, I just read, is really the theme of the book. And what we see is that God cares so much about his people that he is concerned that they are organized and structured in a way that he determines so that his glory can be displayed and we can have healthy believers who are then able to protect and proclaim the truth. Do you realize that every one of us matters? That the church protecting and proclaiming the truth And protecting the gospel isn't something that God just gave the leaders of the church. He gave all of us this important privilege. You know, when searching for a church, uh, oftentimes people will look for things like, you know, what kind of programs do they have? and, And do they have friendly people? And those are good things. And we want to have some of those things. We want to be friendly for sure. But that's not the most critical thing when looking for a church. When looking for a church, look for a strong biblical statement of faith. 
based on the Bible and based on a historic understanding of God's Word. You know, I hear people say things like, no creeds but Christ, and that sounds like really spiritual, but it's really naive. And more than that, it's actually dangerous. Because the truth is, there's a lot of people that claim to believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, Muslims claim to believe in Christ, but they don't believe the same way to heaven as we do. So there has to be more than just no creeds but Christ. We have to, under, we have to determine what is it about Christ that we really believe. Because that is the critical thing. Our salvation depends on it. By the way, don't believe me? The very next verse in that passage I just quoted in 1 Timothy 3 is actually a creed. It's an early church creed that was written for us and probably set to music. So the church believed in creeds. It's very, very important. We have a, uh, a faith that is preserved by God. You say, well, doesn't God preserve my faith? And how does uh, perseverance of the saints and preservation by God work? Understand this, that yes, it is God who causes us to persevere. It is God who preserves our faith. But listen to this, and this is so important. He does so by means. He does so by gracious means, one of which is the local church gathering. When we gather together under a, a biblical understanding of what uh, uh, a biblical understanding of doctrine, when we gather together, it helps protect our faith and we watch out for each other. That is one of God's ways in which he preserves our faith. And what I fear is many Christians have a loose commitment to their local church because they have a high commitment to themselves. And that ought not be. If you have truly a high commitment to Christ, you should have a high commitment to the organized body of Jesus Christ, which he has given you as a means, a good means, to help preserve your faith. I think we all know, if you're married, that if you go into marriage thinking it's all about you, it won't go well. If you go into marriage and think, you know what, this person had better meet all my needs, better do everything that I want, and better, better make me happy, how do you think that turns out? Not well. Don't you think the same thing happens when we enter into church that way? This is all about me and the church better meet my needs and people, they better uh, make sure that they're looking out for my good and they're doing what I want them to do. If it doesn't go well there either. So the question is, how then do we commit to each other? I'm going to focus on this last point a little bit. How do we commit? Well, it says right here. And let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So he gives us several commands that really help us. To consider one another means to give careful thought and compassionate concern for people in Christ's body. Careful thought. To give real thought how you can do good. Uh, when you were preparing for church this morning, did you ask yourself a question? Lord, how can I do the most good for my church family today? Who is it that you might have me encourage? Who is it that I need to, to pray with? Who is it that I need to make sure that they're, they know they're loved? Who is it that needs to hear a word from your word to give them strength for this week? Who is it that I can serve today? That's how God wants us to come. 
it's a careful thought, and then it's a compassionate concern. Because I truly love you, I will desire your spiritual health and your well-being. I want God's glory and His good to be seen in your life today. How can I serve someone else today as we gather? Listen, as Christ's body, we need to communicate Christ's love the way He communicated His love to us. I mean, we're in union with Christ. That means if Christ loves His body, we need to love. And He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's how we should come to church every time we gather. But he continues to stir up love. So we're thinking carefully. We're thinking compassionately how we can stir up love. The idea is to provoke a deeper love for Christ that results in doing good to others, which increases their joy in the gospel. So how do we stir one another up to love and good works? Uh, the idea, again, is like, I want you to feel loved. I want, I want the love of Christ to be channeled through me to you, and I want to do good to you the way God does. I want to show favor and grace to you the way Jesus Christ shows it to us. And we know how this works. Here's the thing is, when you are well-loved, what happens? Most often, Love swells up in your heart, and you reciprocate. You respond in love. Love provokes love, and good promotes good. And so we come to church saying, who can I, feel, who can I help feel greater and deeper love in Jesus Christ? I want them to know Christ loves them, and I love them. How can I do that? How can I do them good so that their joy in the gospel is expanded? A deeper love for Christ will always result in serving His people in ways that do them good. So we come to church saying, how can I make people feel loved? And how can I do some good to help someone's faith today? Because we're helping, God in his grace is causing the church to help preserve our faith and deepen our faith as we do this for each other. But then he also says, assemble together. Don't forsake. He does it in a negative way. Uh, from a negative perspective, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So the implication is, do assemble together. And that's not a hard word to understand. It means to gather together in the same physical place. And refuse to forsake assembling unless it's the most extreme circumstances. And it seems like there's no exception to this unless you are physically unable. We do have that. And so we try to minister to those who are homebound. Uh, this uh, past week where a, uh, a group went and sang Christmas carols uh, to Miss Audrey Mulkey. And what a blessing. Then met for fellowship, drank some coffee and fellowship together. Uh, these are ways in which we can, uh, many of you go and visit Jim Fan as well. That, that's the way the church can reach out to those who are physically unable to gather. I'm thankful for the tools we have. Both of them actually watch our services online. Yes, unfortunately, they heard that note that you sang that was off key. But you know what? Here's the beauty of it. They still rejoice in it. You know why? Because it's the family. They get to see and hear the family gathering together even if they can't themselves. But really, we ought to make the gatherings of the church a really, really big deal. Um, I, I'm going to try to be very gracious here, but uh, we understand that uh, if someone is, is sick, that we don't want to spread sickness. We, we understand that. But oftentimes, we'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to work when we're, you know, half dead, 
and we skip church if we have the slightest sniffle. And that really ought to be different. We ought to have a, a, a real sense of mission that when I go to work, I'm displaying God's glory through my labor. But when I go to church, I'm also displaying God's glory and provoking and encouraging love and good works in others. It's a real serious mission that God has given us. A.T. Robertson, uh, in his word pictures of the New Testament, written many years ago, said this about this passage. Already some Christians had formed the habit of not attending public worship, a perilous habit then and now. I think he hits the nail on the head. He says that we should assemble together, and then he says we should exhort one another. Now, this is a beautiful word. It means to come alongside. It really is something that the Holy Spirit does for us. He comes alongside us and speaks truth into our heart, gives us comfort, gives us words of warning, conviction. But he's just, he just there with us every step of the way. Aren't you glad that God gave us the Holy Spirit that walks with us every step of the way? Sometimes you might say, when he's convicting, I wish he'd just go take a break. You know, hey, why don't you go get a McDonald's and get yourself a cup of coffee, okay? We don't like that always. But here's the thing is, man, aren't you glad in those those very dark moments of your life that Christ fills your heart with light through the Holy Spirit. He gives you the comfort and encouragement. Now listen, in that same way, God calls us as a body to come alongside one another. And we might say it this way, we just walk down the road together. When one falls down, the other one helps them up. Hey, there's going to be times where I'm going to fall and I'm going to need you to help me up. There's times that you're going to trip and fall and you're going to need somebody that will help pick you up. It means being so deeply engaged in one another's lives that we can effectively encourage one another for their spiritual health. Now, here's something that might be a good test. Sometimes when we're talking to people in church and we're fellowshipping, we can tell that something's wrong. Do you know enough about their heart to know what might be an encouragement to them? Do you know what's going on in their life? Now, I understand you can't force someone to share what's in their heart. But the fact is, is we should be asking a whole lot more. Now, I understand it's scary because what if they reject you? What if they say, that's none of your business? Okay, so let me say two things. Number one, don't say that. <laughs> okay, number two, if now that you know they're not going to say that, don't be afraid to ask. The fact is that we need to start, we need to know what's going on in each other's lives. The struggles we have, the, the spiritual challenges, the heartaches, the heartbreaks, we need to know these things. So not only can we pray effectively, but we can encourage effectively. We can come alongside of them and not say, oh, be warmed and filled, brother. May the Lord bless you, whatever you're going through. Listen, they didn't sneeze. We don't need to say bless you. What we need to say is, how can I help you? Can I just hear you? Know what, do you know that 75, probably 80% of it is just listening? You know, I think the biggest fear we have is they're going to say something we won't know what to say to it. They're going to share a problem, and we're going to be like, I don't know what to say. Now, listen, what you can say is this. You know, I don't have the right words right now, except that I love you, and Christ loves you, and Let's talk about it some more. Let, let's find the answers together in God's word. I know God's got an answer. Can, can, we, can we help find it together? You know, just love and check up and 
pray for one another, exhorting. Now, I'm going to really start stepping on toes. I apologize in advance. How people forsake the church. Well, we make it all about me instead of us. Um, that is a surefire way. Um, that is a, a surefire way to forsake the church. It's just to say it's all about me because here you, you've forsaken your church personally, or you might say emotionally, or even spiritually. But it's where you are so focused on your needs instead of the needs of others. Now, it's not wrong to, to want someone to love you. You should. That's what the church is for. And it's not wrong to say, I hope someone will come along that I need some encouragement. That's definitely, we, part of it is being ministered to. But also saying, hey, how is it that I can step out and serve and minister to other people? Um, someone said, we are short-sighted and self-absorbed people. So God gave us a community of believers. Not of our making, but his. The local church, which breaks through our selfishness and calls us to live for eternal things and to love his eternal family. Here's the thing is, I'm a terribly selfish person. I think probably you are too. And so God has to give us a community to help us work through that. He has to give us people so that we don't focus on ourselves, to help break through that so that we can serve other people. But another way is we don't find time to serve in regular ministry. It's like, oh, here it is. I knew there was going to be a plug for we got teams that need to be filled. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to do that. The, the fact is, is I have great joy in ministry, and I know a lot of other people that have great joy in ministry. I just want you to have that joy too, really. The, the joy of serving others is so great because you understand God built us for this. When you do what, when you do what you're built for, it just it's right. It's just in your heart. It's like, this is what I was made for. But when you don't find time to serve in regular ministry, you rob yourself of something important. See, participation in a local church is not just showing up. That's where it starts. But it's using the gifts Christ gave you to serve others in regular ministry. Let me tell you something that regular ministry does that just what we call occasional or op uh, opportunity ministry, where something comes up, oh, I'll, I'll volunteer for that one thing. Regular ministry actually keeps your heart warm for Christ. It gi gives you a, a real sense of love for other people because you're regularly challenging your heart. Number two, it helps grow you spiritually uh, because uh, in just a few days, uh, I'm going to get a chance to, to, to go skiing. I'm a terrible skier. And, and the hard thing is, they say, when, when you go back, you know, you haven't done it for a year, and then you go back, it's like you have to spend the first half day, day, just kind of getting the skills back you got before. Now, ministry can be that way, too. That if you just do it occasionally, the things that you're learning and growing in, uh, you, you, you kind of start growing as you minister, and then you don't minister for a while, and you kind of lose those skills. But if you serve in regular ministry, it gives you a chance to build on what Christ is teaching you. The things you're learning about people and how to show grace and how to love people deep, how to work with, with hard people, people that are, you know, difficult to work with. It teaches you all those skills. But in other ways, we don't take time and energy to build gospel-centered relationships. Now, let me say this. I have seen gospel-centered relationship building really growing in our church. I'm not mentioning this in order 
to rebuke you. I'm mentioning it because I see God's grace in this area, and I'm super stoked. I'm excited about it. But in just a minute, I'm going to show you a way you can get involved if you're not involved in that. Often we form surface-level relationships that don't demand too much from us. Uh, whether it's fear, selfishness, or just busyness. But surely Christ meant more than these surface-level friendships when he says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have a loved one toward another. Oh, you mean when we walk in the church and shake each other's hand and talk for two minutes about the weather and then go about our day? I think he meant something more by that. Now, I want to talk about why people forsake the church. It could be because they're woefully uninformed. They just don't understand what the Bible says about the church. Uh, I've heard people say, well, the church is just God's people, so I can gather with a few friends, a few family, or any other Christian, and look, we're a church. To that I say, look at how the Holy Spirit organized and operated the local church throughout the New Testament. It wasn't just people, a few people gathering when they felt the need or even on a regular basis. It was much more than that. They had organization. It had structure. It had leadership. Uh, they gathered on spe at specific times. They had specific goals as they met together and worshiped. Now, uh, I could define marriage as this. A legal, this is what the dictionary says. A legally or formally recognized union of two people as partners in a personal relationship. Man, that is romantic, isn't it? I mean, I just want to, on Valentine's Day, just keep this and say, sure, I just want you to know that we are in a legally and formally recognized union as partners in personal relationship. And I really mean that, honey. <laughs> That's not very romantic. You know that marriage is so much more than that, right? Like, when you experience marriage, it's like, oh, man, there's so much more to that. And you know what? It's because the Bible actually tells us there's so much more to marriage than just that simple definition. The same thing is with the church. Yes, the church are God's people. But when you look at how God organized it and the Holy Spirit led the church, there was so much more to it than that. There were leaders and there was elections and they met together and they hashed out differences and a lot of things were going on. They observed communion and they had worship services and they preached the word and they, they prayed. They did all these amazing things. And so it's more than just a simple definition. There's some people who are just uninformed, but there's some people who are willfully rebellious. I meet Christians occasionally that are so spiritually arrogant, they can't find a church that's good enough for them. Can you, can you hear the, the pride dripping off that statement? Well, I just haven't found a church that I think teaches good doctrine, good enough doctrine, or that's good enough. Wow, okay, well, um, that's saying something about you more than it says something about the church. <laughs> Uh, some people just don't like to submit themselves to the church, so they try to get the Bible to say what their already rebellious hearts want. That's sad, because <laughs> I think they miss out on something. But there's also a third group, they could just be wicked heretics. Um, that's how Satan often works. He uh, is a roaring lion, and lions like to take the weakest out of the pack to get them alone and to attack them and devour them. And so there, there is an endless supply of, of ways that Satan will try to get you separated from the church so that he can attack you and destroy you. And heretics are one of those things. So why do we need the church? Well, uh, we're at war. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? 
there's a spiritual battle going on, and you can't fight alone. There's real spiritual enemies attacking us. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're powerful. And here's the thing is, is there ain't no such thing as an army of one. I can't click today. They get knocked out that fast. There we go. I should have put some lotion on today. Just like that, it's so easy. There is no superheroes when it comes to church members. You can't ever go it alone. You're not Superman. Uh, But we can drift doctrinally. That's one of the ways in which Christ preserves our faith because we gather in unity around a, a historic understanding of God's word and we cling to it. But I see this more often. I see the doctrinal people drifting doctrinally, but often what I see is they drift spiritually. What happens is this, is they, they stop getting around the church regularly, and slowly their heart commitment to Christ erodes. It's not all at once. It's not an earthquake. It's just kind of like the Missouri River. It just kind of eats away at the edges. That's why the Corps of Engineers puts out those uh, rocky outcroppings to help slow down erosion. What happens is before they know it, their heart is eroded and eroded. And can I just say this as a pastor? My heart grieves for the amount of people that said, Pastor, I mean, stuck in horrible sin, saying, Pastor, I don't know what happened. It just somehow, little by little, I started down the wrong path. Now, if that's you, our church is here for you. Don't, don't, don't let Satan lie to you and say, oh, there's so much shame. I, I just want to be away because I feel so much shame. Come to the church. There's grace, there's healing, there's love, and there's people that will help you get back on the right path. We're not going to sit there and try to shame and judge you. What we're going to try to do is to take God's word with the power of the Holy Spirit and help you get back on the right path. Yes, there's going to be some confession of sin. Yes, there's going to be some repentance. That has to happen. But folks, Satan wants you to think everyone in the church is going to despise and hate you because of your sin. That's a lie of Satan. We're coming here because we want to help one another. When we get off the path, to get back on the path. And to help keep us on the path. Right? Sin is so deceptive and pride is so blinding that people think... I'll be okay without the church. I cannot emphasize this enough. No, you will not. Because Christ gave the church because he knew what would happen if you went on your own. And we were made for community. I mean, that's what the body of Christ is. So let me just wrap this up, okay? Let's think about how we can live this out. First of all, love your church. Uh, not the idea of church, not just some believers some of the time, but love your church, real people all the time, even when they're annoying, even when they're aggravating, warts and all, right? And will you just trust Christ that you need people? You might think you don't, but just trust Christ. He puts you on a community of faith for a reason. Help your church to become all it should be. Yes, we're not what all we should be, but help your church become that. If you don't know your gift, well, I don't even know how, what spiritual gift I have. I don't know how to help. You know what? Let us help you. You say, I don't even know where to start serving other people. 
let us help you. I don't know where to serve. Let us help you. I don't know how to build relationships. Let us help you. We're in this together. We're learning and growing together. You've got things that are going to help me, and hopefully I've got some things that will help you, and we're going to help each other down this road. We're going to go together. Make gatherings a priority. Make it a priority. Make it a really big deal to be together. You might say, oh, boy, sometimes the pastor preaches too long, and he's boring. Uh, I, I, am, uh, I, I received a gift this week, um, a Christmas gift, that will help in that. And you're like, oh, somebody get you a good book on preaching? No, actually, it's a rapid-fire Nerf gun, and it, it goes a pretty good long distance. So you back row people, yeah, it'll reach. And so what I'll just do, if you start to fall, I'm in love. I'm going to send a Nerf dart your way, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> to awaken you in the spirit <laughs> and in the body so that you can respond to the Word of God. I won't really do that. <laughs> I won't. Um, maybe, uh, you know, restart some coffee so we can get people well caffeinated. But make it a, make it a, a priority. It's... Um, you know, we should be more faithful to our church family than to our sports teams and even to our family functions and things like that. And, don't, and please don't call me a legalist because you say, oh, you're being such a legalist and we have to gather on Sunday. You understand that the church, it's recorded that they met on the first day of the week in honor of Christ and his resurrection. We're just following the pattern that Christ said. I'm not trying to be a legalist. I'm just saying, you know, it's kind of, you know, right there in the Bible. And so we just want to do what they did, Right. And, and here's the thing is, is even things like family functions and stuff, just be, you know, like I said, I don't want to be legalistic about it. I don't. But you can talk to your family about it and say, hey, listen, you know, I, I noticed that you're, you're going to have that, that party on Sunday, like at noon, and that's really hard for us. Could, could you move it back a little bit? And that way I can be with our church family. It's really important to me. Just, just be honest with them and talk to them about it. And uh, sometimes those things can, can really, really help. Just say, hey, you know, it's okay if I start that game late. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the, the Chiefs, they win whether or not we're watching. <laughs> they, they just do, or they lose whether or not we're watching. And uh, make gospel-centered relationships priority. That's part of what this January group study is all about. It's us gathering on Sunday. I'll preach, uh, believe it or not, a chapter a week. Uh, except for the end, I have to break it up a little bit. I tried to make it six, and I just couldn't ha- it just wasn't going to happen. So but, uh, we'll have seven themes throughout the, the book of Ephesians, and I'll preach, and then throughout the week, you'll be given devotions that you can do to ha- kind of help follow up and gain a deeper understanding of that passage. There'll also be application questions. And then when we meet together on the following week during Sunday school hour, our groups, our discipleship groups, they're going to go over those application questions, and we'll get questions answered about, hey, uh, I don't understand this, and how does this work? And the goal is this is to take the Word of God and help each other apply it and then praying and loving one another so that we can all walk it out together. We can walk side by side, you know, exhorting one another like it says. And so uh, I hope that you'll plan on being there. Say, well, we don't like coming for Sunday school. It's too early. Give it seven weeks. Say, for seven weeks, uh, God the Holy Spirit can give me the strength to wake up early on a Sunday morning. He can do it. You know, he can do anything. So really, getting you up a little bit early, that's a piece of cake for him. And just, I'm going to invite you to be part of that. And in so doing, I hope that you'll get a chance to build deeper relationships centered around Jesus, centered around the gospel, where we can really start 
helping one another to talk through the things in our life. Here's the thing is, uh, in any given week, there are things that pop up in my heart that I wonder, you know, I really could use someone to talk this out with, someone to help me apply it. Can I say this? You know, one of the biggest problems, and this isn't just me, but I see a, a lot of uh, theologians who are saying this thing. They said, the problem is not even that people don't get into the Word, because they said more and more people are. Uh, now, that is a big problem. You've got to start with getting the Word of God in your heart, okay? <laughs> but they're saying this. There seems to be a real disconnect between what the Word of God, with their reading in their Bibles, and then them actually applying it in real ways in their life. They said there's this disconnect where they read it and they're like, yeah, I totally believe it. But then when they walk out, they don't see where it connects to their everyday life. They say, God is sovereign. How am I going to pay my bills? Okay, is God sovereign? Yeah, but I'm not talking about sovereignty. I'm talking about my money. Do you know sovereignty has something to say about that? Yeah, and, and I see in my own life, I am disturbed at how much disconnect there is sometimes. And it's awesome how when we get together like on our Wednesday night groups, we'll start talking and I'll see how the gospel, other people are making gospel connections and I'm thinking, oh, man, I need to make that connection in my heart. And then I'll say, well, this is how God has connected my heart. And they'll be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And we just help each other understand God better and how to apply God's word. It's a, it's a miraculous thing. I hope you'll be part of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you and we close, uh, Lord, I'm so thankful that no matter where we're at spiritually, you've got an answer this morning. For those who are uncommitted, you say, come to Christ. Have a heart that's fully committed and fully assured and confident in Christ's ability to save you through his life, death, and resurrection. For those who believe but are struggling, he says, hang on, don't let go. Your faith is well-founded. Don't waver from that commitment you've made to Christ. And to us who are trying to be faithful, that love you, that, that want to be loyal, want to be committed, you say, guys, you're going to need each other. You're going to need each other more than you can even imagine. And here are some ways in which you can, by gathering together and walking down that road, encouraging one another and, and even exhorting and rebuking at times one another, by stirring up love and good works, Listen, it's going to strengthen your faith so it will hold fast when the hard times come. God, I'm thankful because we need all these commands. But we also need the Holy Spirit to help us to live them out. Would you do that? And would you help us be courageous enough to build the kind of relationships where we can help each other? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm so glad you came today, and I hope you do have a wonderful year. And... Uh, Hope that uh, it's one that you're taking on, you know, we sing that song, uh, Another uh, Year with Jesus. And I hope it's just another step toward Jesus Christ day by day as we grow in grace together. All right, we're dismissed.